Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, everybody. It's really nice to see you all this morning, and Merry Christmas to you all. Nice to see you, Dalton. I don't I hardly ever get to see you guys. And Dominique, it's great to see you guys. Um, we're going to be uh, studying in Colossians this morning. So let me read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Father, help me please to... um, Communicate what you want us to know this morning and help it, uh, I pray, help what I say to be riveted into our hearts, the truth that you want us to hear riveted deep in our hearts. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a, a Jewish economist named Arthur Burns who had a lot of influence back in Washington, D.C., back in his day during the tenure of several presidents. And uh, There was a gathering of evangelical politicians, and so Arthur Burns was asked to give the opening prayer at this gathering of evangelical politicians. And so this is how he prayed. Lord, I pray that Jews would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Buddhists would come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray that Muslims would come to know Jesus Christ. And then probably most stunning of all, he said, and Lord, I pray that Christians would come to know Jesus Christ. Well, that that wise old Jew captured one of the greatest problems in American Christian life. Many of us have a Christian vocabulary. Many of us sing Christian songs on a Sunday morning, or we attend a Christian church on a Sunday morning. And many of us vote what we take to be our Christian conscience when it comes to election day. But do we really know the Jesus that we're supposed to be following? I was kind of shocked by this. I was uh, on my way home from a trip last week in Got to a red light and I was behind a brand new Jeep, one of those really nice four-door, really macho looking Jeeps, you know, and it was white and it had a black top. And right on the on the right of uh, the left rear quarter, not a bumper sticker, but like hand lettered on the back of this, it said, 
do you follow Jesus this close? <laughs> and, and that's just been sticking with me all week. Um, and I thought, do we really know this Jesus that we're celebrating at Christmas? The one that we sing songs about, the one that we give gifts to celebrate his life, the one that um, we eat all this great food over. Do we really know who this Jesus is? The whole world knows his name, but who exactly is this person? Well, the Apostle Paul was addressing a problem with the Colossians, in this letter to the Colossians. You can hear an echo of it in that verse that I read, verse 17 and 18, uh, actually verse 16, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, he is above all those things. We'll get to it in a minute. But Paul was addressing some problems in this, that the Colossians were dealing with in this letter. And so from the opening comments and the prayer, he moves to one of the most important and compelling statements in all of Scripture on the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. And most likely he's doing this to counter the claims of these false teachers. So Paul gives seven things. We're only going to get to five of them. And then I'll just touch on the last two as we share communion together. But he, gets, he talks about seven things that we need to know about the Christ that we celebrate at Christmas. So if you look back in your Bibles there at chapter, at chapter 1, verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. You can't see God. So what I want to ask you to think about this morning is who is, in your life, in your history, or in your present, who is the most noble, the most majestic person that you've ever met? The person that when you think about them, you just think, man, that's class. I can't even get close to it. I always go back to L. Reginald Barnard, who was one of my professors in seminary in the 1980s, which I know to some of you seems like the dark ages. Um, and then I think about Phil McLean, who mentored me in the 1990s. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, rather, put it this way in his gospel in John verse one, chapter one, verse 18, "No one has ever seen God. He, he's the invisible God, but God, the one and only, or the only begotten, he's talking about Christ, who is at the Father's side, has made him known." So keep that in mind as you, when you hear people say that Paul's letters are talking about a different Jesus than the Jesus that shows up in the Gospels. They're one and the same. So God cannot be seen with human eyes, but Jesus Christ, the God-man, shows us who God is. So every trait, every decision, every act that we see in Jesus reveals something about this invisible God to us. When we see Jesus feeling compassion over a sick person, we see God's compassion. When we see Jesus angry, about something, we know what makes God angry. When we see Jesus weep and mourn, we know the kinds of things that make God weep and mourn. When we see Jesus frustrated, on an emotional level anyway, he was not frustrated in his plans, but he would get frustrated with his disciples and with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that he was dealing with. When we see Jesus frustrated, we know what frustrates God. When we see Jesus loving people, 
We know how God loved people, loves people. When we see Jesus serving others, remember he's washing the feet of his disciples right there the night before he's crucified. We see how God serves us. He humbles himself and serves us. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the most noble person who ever lived. John said, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only begotten, full of grace and truth. So I was thinking about who's the most noble person that we would all be most familiar with, and probably most recently with the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Here's what someone said about her in one of the many services that was held in her honor. Here was a leader, not driven by ideology or political expediency, by desire for power or personal gain, but determined to uphold vital traditions, support her ministers, and encourage her people. Decent, hardworking, adaptable, patriotic, unshowy, personable, humorous. She was a virtuous queen appointed to rule over nations and tested like gold in a furnace. From Christ, she learned to serve rather than be served. She was a really noble person. And she modeled herself on Jesus Christ. Who do we know in our lives that are noble people? I mean, no wonder that Jewish economist prayed for everyone to know Jesus. So here's uh, our first challenge for the day. What if all of us were that noble? Second thing Paul points out in the second half of verse 15, he is the owner of creation. I love this. For by him all things were created. So Jesus has authority over all created things because he owns it all. Theologian Abraham Kuyper has said, there is not one inch over all creation over which Jesus Christ does not say, mine. He owns it all. The word firstborn there creates some problems for those who are unfamiliar with the way that that word was used in biblical times. Um, and, you know, my mom passed recently, and so it came to my responsibility to become the executor of her estate, and I also, before she passed, I became her power of attorney. And I, when most of us think of firstborn, we think of birth order, like my older brother Mike, and then I was born, and then my younger brother Warren. That's really not what firstborn technically meant in ancient times. It really meant more like He's the executor. He's the complete power of attorney. I had absolute power over all my mom's affairs, whether it was financial or legal or her, even her health decisions. I had power, the power to make those decisions. The firstborn in biblical times has all the power and authority of the father of the household, of, the, uh, of his father. So it doesn't necessarily indicate birth order. It indicates supremacy and rank. Everyone in the family took up their respective positions after the firstborn. Some folks have made a mistake about Christ based on a misunderstanding of this phrase here and in other places. And they arrive at the conclusion that Jesus somehow came from God but is not 
equal to God. But the theme and the purpose of Paul's whole paragraph, as well as many other places in the New Testament, you could go to John chapter 1, for example, is that Christ is completely equal with God, completely unique, the one and only Son of God who holds complete authority over all creation. So let's ask again, is this the Jesus that we follow? If he has all authority over creation, he has all authority over us, we have to ask ourselves, does he have all authority over my money? <laughs> does he have all authority over my property? I own some property. I own a house. I own several cars. I own a motorcycle that hasn't worked for two years. I own, uh, I'd like to own a small island in the Caribbean and go there in January, you know. Um, Jesus owns it all. He owns all of us. He owns everything. He has complete power. He can dispose of it as he wishes. Third thing, Paul enumerates here, verse 16, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. So not only is he the owner, he's the agent of creation. I didn't build my car. I didn't build my house. I didn't create my motorcycle. I own all those things, but I, I was not the agent of creation. Jesus was the agent of creation. He's the one who's, who was hands-on in making all of the stuff that we can see and even the things we cannot see. He created the heavens, the observable universe, the black holes, the white dwarfs, the spinning solar systems, the whirling galaxies, and everything that we can observe and understand about time and space and gravity and physics and biology and chemistry from the tiniest particle to the mightiest star. He was the agent of creation. He put it together. So we need to pause there and we need to think about this. If he's the agent of creation, if he owns it all and he created it all, he understands and knows the mechanics of it all, then how do we approach fear? Why should we be afraid? If it's true that we belong to him, do we really have anything to fear? As I said, I was, um, I was with mom pretty much constantly for the last two months of her life and, and certainly for the last 24 hours. And my, my greatest concern, it, mom struggled a lot as her breathing became more and more difficult. And I knew that that was coming, but and I, we, we had a discussion about this. And I said, Mom, I just don't want you to be afraid. And she never was. I've been with a lot of people who were dying. And I've seen a lot of fear. I've seen people just fight and shake with fear. She was never afraid. 
For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. That was a song we used to sing together in the choir long ago. And if he created it all, is there any need that we have that he cannot meet? And if he holds time in his hands, you know, God, everything that we experience is inside the space-time box. He's outside. So do you have time to rest? Do you have time to recreate? Do you have time to just sit and talk? Boy, this is convicting to me. It's almost too convicting to talk about. Because it's like, I got to get so much done. There's so many things I'm responsible for. I got to get it done. I got to go, 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 go. I don't have time to talk to this person. You have time to talk and treat somebody just like a human being made in the image of God. Yeah, you do. Well, visible and invisible, not only did Jesus create all that can be observed in the natural world, but he created everything that cannot be observed as well, the spiritual world. That's where we get back into that verse I mentioned earlier. All things were created by him, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. The supernatural is really, really difficult to get your head around. But this was a direct shot across the bow, so to speak, of the false teachers in Colossae because they were the ones who were promoting these thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. They taught something that you might actually hear one day in modern-day America and that there is this hierarchy of spiritual beings in place among whom Jesus was just one of many. And that they had to be approached in a certain way through certain rituals and behaviors in order to receive their blessings. You may actually hear that about the spiritual world at some point. And you need to understand what Paul is saying here. That's baloney. Everything that exists, visible and invisible, he created and he's the master of it all. And we have direct access to God through him because of his sacrifice. And none of that other stuff matters. Now, it used to be when a preacher would talk about this passage to Americans, we would all look at each other because um, I, I love to say this. Now that I watch antique shows all the time, I'm, a, I'm from the mid-20th century. So we're becoming popular again. Have you noticed the... Like, I'm wearing skinny pants. These are skinny pants for me. Have you noticed all the bell bottoms coming out? 1972, baby. <laughs> Got my first pair. It used to be when a preacher would preach on this, to Americans, we would all look at each other raised in the scientific, modernistic, but Christianized 20th century and smile as if to say, well, they may believe in all that supernatural stuff over there in Africa and India, but we're scientific. We know better. That isn't the case anymore. 
And I know a bunch of those people from India and Africa now, and the spirituality is real. The invisible stuff is very, very real. Not just real to them, it's real. And they understand when the scriptures say that Jesus has power and authority over all the spiritual world, they flat out know it, and it matters. But a lot of people in America, a lot of people in the West now, unlike the 20th century, in the 20, almost third year of the 21st century, there's a lot of belief in the unseen world and a lot of confusion about it. And a lot of people believe that this world can be understood and explained apart from Christ. But God's, words for, God's word for us is this. Do not be taken in by that stuff. All things. How much is all? It's all. All things. Whether visible or invisible were created by him and for him. It's all created to glorify Him. And that's our role here on planet Earth. We're here to glorify Him and point others to Him. Then verse 17, we'll do Numbers 4 and 5 together because they're in verse 17. He is before all things. So He's before all things. Before any of this happened, before any of the world that you and I can experience happened, He's before all of that. The older you get, the more you realize, boy, 72 years is not a very long time. I know, when you're in your 20s, it sounds like forever. I'm 62, 72 is 10 years off. That's not very far at all. And that's, a, that's not even a blink. It's, it's, it's not even a, a flick of your eyelid to all of human history. But not only did he create everything we can see, he existed in and of himself before all things. He is the self-existent one. Like I said before, he exists outside the space-time box. So now we're, now we're really going to get weird. And in him all things hold together. So did you hear what happened to William Shatner? You know who William Shatner is? Captain Kirk. He played Captain Kirk in the original Star Trek series and in all the original movies. So he got to actually go to space. He was 90 years old. And he went to space on, uh, is it Mark Bezos? Bezos' Blue Origin spaceship, this space tourism. He's 90 years old. And he got up into space, and you know what he did when he got back? Does anybody know? He was weeping. He was full of grief. They call it the overview effect. And this has happened to a lot of astronauts, including the very first one, Yuri Gagarin, the Russian that went up in, uh, in the 1950s or 60s, the first person in space, the guy that started the space race. Right up until the, very, the most recent, up till Shatner, is that they have this sense of loss and also this sense of great compassion and, and the fragility of all humanity and all of life on earth. 
The man named Frank White actually coined that phrase, the overview effect, in 1987. And he said it describes what the spaceflight experience, for lack of a better term, awakens in those who venture out into space and then look back at Earth from the emptiness and void of outer space. And what happens is they realize that we are all connected to each other and how fragile our whole existence is on this planet. So if you, uh, if you know anything about Apollo 11, you'll see a lot of pictures from Apollo 11, the first one to land on the moon. And most of those pictures are, are by somebody else, uh, are, are of someone else other than Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong was the first man to put a foot on the moon and to walk on the moon, but he also took most of the pictures. So there's not many pictures of Neil. But there are a few, and one of them is right after he climbed back into the lunar module from his first walk on the moon, and he's got tears in his eyes. And here's what happened. He said, he's standing there on the moon, and he said, it suddenly struck me that that tiny pea, pretty and blue, was the earth. And I put, my, put up my thumb, and I shut one eye, and I could blot out the whole earth. And I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small. What's happening in our world today is that people feel that connectedness of all humanity. These guys, when they go up and they look back on the planet Earth and they and all these boundaries that we have between each other, the boundaries of countries, the boundaries of continents, the boundaries of nations, and all of these conflicts that we have with one another, they see it all as a whole, and they see how fragile it is, and it's hanging out there in the vast nothingness of space. And they come back with this sensibility. Even Yuri Gagarin, who'd been pumped through, of, uh, through and through a Soviet uh, propaganda. He was supposed to come back and say wonderful propagandistic things about the Soviet Union. And he came back and they all say something like this. Wow, we all need to be working together a whole lot more because the whole planet is fragile and we all need to work for peace. He said something like that. They probably put him in jail for it. I don't know. But everybody comes back with that sense of the fragility of, of all of life. And they want to work for things like peace, and they want to work for things that actually even kind of worship the environment and take care of the planet. And it's a good thing to take care of the environment, and it's a good thing to work for peace. But when you think honestly about the reality of human selfishness and greed, when you think honestly about the human condition that tendency that we have to just mess everything up no matter how hard we try, you realize why people weep. It's not just the fragility of the planet and of life on earth. It's the knowledge that we can't pull it off. We cannot achieve peace apart from Christ, apart from somebody who can do it for us. And so people who don't know Christ, it's no wonder that they weep. 
Because without someone to unify us and to conquer our self-destructive tendencies, we'll never pull it off. Parade Magazine had an article about the Higgs boson particle. There's a story about the Fermilab. The Fermilab is a four-mile round particle accelerator outside of Chicago. And the scientists working there were searching for this thing called the Higgs boson. And it's, it's known as the God particle because it holds, all the, it holds atoms together. Physicists believe that this special subatomic particle allows all of the other particles in the universe to have mass and come together to form basically everything that is around us. Without these so-called God particles, atoms would have no integrity, and so there would be no chemical bonding, no stable structures, no liquids or solids, and of course no physicists and no reporters. But the scriptures say he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He keeps the cosmos from becoming a chaos. He holds the space-time box in his hands. Christ is more than the force that preserves the orderly arrangement of the cosmos. He is its rationale. It's rhyme and reason. Christ is the system of the systems. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And if you think about it for a while, you realize that every successful endeavor of mankind, every feat of engineering, every advance in medical science, every effective educational institution, Every fruitful human life is so to a greater or lesser degree inasmuch as it adheres to some great ordering principle, some great imperative upon which everything else depends and from which everything else can grow. And for all of creation, Jesus is that principle. So this is why he said what he said. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Well, looking up all that stuff about space and about the overview effect, it made me remember something from my childhood. In 1968, before Apollo 11, there was Apollo 8. And James Lovell and William Anders and Frank Borman 
flew the Apollo 8 capsule all the way out to the moon, but they didn't land. They just circled it three times and they came back. And on their ninth, or they circled it 10 times rather and came back. And on their ninth trip around, when they knew they only had one more lap to go, they read from the book of Genesis. They took, they took turns reading from Genesis. Each one read a few verses. Do you remember this? You guys remember this? I was eight years old. And I can still hear that guy's voice in my head. I looked it up this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And then Lovell handed off the page, because they didn't have a whole Bible up there. It weighed too much. It just had a, a fireproof printed out page, and he handed it off. And then Anders read four verses, and then Borman finished up all the way through verse 10. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And this is how they ended their broadcast. And from the crew of Apollo 8... We close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's the Christ we worship at Christmas. That's why we can have peace on earth. That's why we give each other gifts. That's why we, or at least my wife, bakes all this amazing food. Because of who Jesus really is. I want to encourage you as you worship this Christmas to keep all of that in mind and go outside and look up at the stars and think about who he is. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for this word and it reminds us um, with whom we have to do. <laughs> More than a baby in a manger He's the God of all gods, the owner and ruler of all things, the agent of creation, the firstborn from the dead. Father, I pray that you would help us to worship him with our whole beings this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. 
As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.